Welcome back to the Gutsiest Brands podcast, a show built around understanding the DNA of gutsy brands by talking to the world's most innovative brand leaders. For those of you that may be new to the Gutsiest Brands podcast, I'm your host, Emily Eichelberger. Here at Gut Check, we've identified four primary criteria that help us measure a gutsy brand. We feature brands that are empathic, pioneering, bold, and those that see opportunity where others see trade-offs. When we find a brand leader that fits the bill, we bring them onto the show to explore what makes them so successful, what drives them every day, and get their perspective on other brands that wear the badge of gutsy honor. I am very excited about today's episode because it features two incredibly intelligent women discussing brands out in the world that are unique, bold, and go the extra mile to be truly connected. Today, Gut Check CRO Jess Gadicki, a former leader at Nielsen who loves to nerd out on brands, speaks with Karen Howland, the managing director of Circle Up Equity that spots high potential brands before they make it big. Let's listen in while Jess and Karen talk about several brands that really represent the gutsiest brand pillars and see what brands Karen feels a special connection to and learn why we should have irrational expectations in business. Well, Karen, first of all, thank you so much for being here. I'm really, really excited about our conversation today. Um, I'd love to first have you tell us about Circle Up and specifically the technology platform Helio, which I find really fascinating. So tell us about you and, and your company. Sure, of course. Um, pleasure to be here. I'm uh, Karen Halland. I'm a managing director and a general partner of Circle Up Growth Partners. Circle Up Growth Partners is the equity venture business that is inclusive within Circle Up overall. Uh, Circle Up is a technology company, and we are our real mission and goal is to shed light on entrepreneurs and the most creative, innovative founders out there. And we do that by um, a couple of different ways. We have our equity business that makes direct investments into these companies. We have a credit business that provides working capital loans for these companies. And then we also have a, um, a, a software business, which provides insights and intelligence to brands, the ones that we partner with as well as some larger strategic corporates uh, to help, again, find these most amazing, phenomenal brands um, that are the most innovative in their spades. Uh, the data platform, as you were saying, um, is a data platform called, called Helio. It goes out and attracts a million different consumer brands and attracts them from a variety of different ways, whether that be uh, social media engagement, whether that be door distribution, whether that be online traffic reviews analysis, and tries to really shine light on the brands that are being the most innovative, that are seeing the most growth, and helps identify those brands for us as well as for other parties out there in the marketplace. I love that. And what I love so much about the tech platform is that it leverages the power of data, but it sounds like always partnered with the human insight at the core of the brand. So I love that. And I love that you guys have found an innovative way to identify and support these companies. So I'd love to hear a story from you. Think about maybe the first startup company that you were involved with and tell us about that brand's journey. Why was that a meaningful brand for you to be a part of and, and what drew you to it? 
it's a great question. Um, and I, I think one of the brands that um, very early on in my career uh, working with Circle Up is a brand called Partake Food, uh, which is um, the founder, Denise, uh, identified a problem when her daughter was going to birthday parties and was faced with a lot of cookies and cakes that were not allergen friendly. Um, and her daughter had rather severe allergies. And so she went out and she's like, you know what, I can't, I can't have these cookies and cakes that really taste like cardboard. Like my daughter's not interested in them. She feels excluded from these parties. I want to go out and make a better product. And so she went out, um, she created um, uh, Partake Food, which is an amazing allergen-free, uh, allergen-free brand. Um, but it's more than that. It's actually a really darn good cookie product mm -hmm. um, and really darn good baking product. So it um, not only is allergen-free, it uh, gets a halo of better for you. So it's gluten-free, it's vegan, um, it's, it's broadly better for you product. Um, and that's why customers are shopping for it. It's not just for the fact that it's allergen-free, it's for all of these other attributes. The really cool thing, so Helio identified this brand to us um, as the number one cookie, uh, cookie and dessert brand uh, in the consumer product space about two years ago. Mm -hmm. um, we had a chance to uh, get to know Denise uh, and partner with her and work really closely with her. We're able to provide some insights from Helio as she's thinking about how to position her brand, what categories to go into. Um, but she really saw a problem in her own life and decided to kind of attack that uh, and, and, and made a better product in the back of it. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I, I think is, uh, we were talking about the data platform Helio before. One of the things I think that it does a phenomenal job of is it really does kind of democratize the investment process. And honestly, that was one of the key tenants with our, when our founders, Brian Kaldbeck and Rory Eakin made this product, made Helio, was the idea that the capital markets in the private markets, it's, it's, it's not fair, right? <laughs> it's, it's a lot of people providing money to people they went to business school with, the people that, were, that are part of their country club, to people in their ecosystem. But in reality, there are phenomenal brands that are being developed across the country in a variety of different people, um, people and ethnicities that are making these products. And so Denise is a female founder, um, and I, I don't need to tell you the numbers as far as female founders being underrepresented in uh, venture capital uh, dollars being allocated. Um, she's also a person of color. Uh, and um, I think one of the things that we are really proud of uh, with Helio, and it's more of an output of Helio, not necessarily an intent of Circle Up, but 50% of our founders for the first fund that we uh, we had were women mm -hmm. and 30% were people of color. Um, and so uh, the idea of kind of going out and really trying to shake up the category and shake up private marketing and trying to find um, amazing investments, regardless of where the, where, the, where the company is located. We've invested in companies that are in 27 different states, mm -hmm. um, regardless of who the person is that is the founder of the company regardless of what they look like, if they look like me, if they look like you. Um, um, I think it makes us really excited as far as um, kind of continuing to disrupt the private market investing market. It's so inspiring to hear you tell that story. And um, in addition to how great those statistics and numbers are, I love that this was the, that uh, partake founded in this just true understanding of the need. And I, so what I'm picturing is her daughter that is going to these parties and these events and just does feel excluded. And what a way to, I don't know, just provide a solution that changes, it changes lives for people, you know, even in small ways. So um, I love that story. I'd love to meet Denise at some point. Absolutely.
Part of being a gutsy brand, we believe, is having a really deep empathy for the people that you serve. I'm sure you've worked with a lot of brands that, that are grounded in that empathy. Can you tell us about one or two that really keep that empathetic understanding at the core of their business? Yeah, there are a handful of brands that I can point to, one of which I, I think, and again, it, empathy to me, it's like, it's really, it's understanding your consumer. It's understanding, really getting what people need and what they want. And one of the brands, which I don't know that necessarily would come top of mind with this is a brand Yeti. I think if you'd asked the founders or if you'd asked anyone in the marketplace 20 years ago, like, would this premiumization of the product work? Would this become a mass product? Everyone would have probably laughed and said no. Um, but in reality, they, they focused on their niche co customer. They focused on solving a problem for that niche customer, which was the outdoorsman, right? Um, and made a better product that became industry standard. If you, in fact, were out in the woods, if you were, whether it be hunting, fishing, and outdoorsman, if, if you were out in uh, the wild for you know, 12 to 24 hours, you want a product that can keep your drinks cold or hot or your food cold or hot for a longer period of time. And the conventional products couldn't do that because they were so focused on that niche market and creating a phenomenal product for them. It then rolled over to the wives or husbands of that consumer, which then rolled over to the, the neighbors of those consumers. And now it's a $7 billion market cap company. Um, so again, really, understanding your person, understanding the problem that you're trying to solve for that person. Um, I, I think uh, Yeti is a great example of that. I love that you brought that up. We are absolutely a Yeti household. And, and I find that the product design of that brand, it just does lend itself to, they get me, they get the way that I need to carry a cooler or how a, a you know, a, a cup needs to fit within my car or whatever. It just, it feels like they really did their, their research to understand the true experience that people wanted to have with their product. And I almost feel like it's become a badge of honor at some of our, you know, family outdoor gatherings. It's like, who's got the Eddie cooler. Um, so it took time to build that type of credibility, but that's a great brand example. I love that. I, you I actually just moved to Austin, Texas, which is where they had Yeti's headquarters is. And it's, 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 it's fully penetrated in that marketplace. I feel like if you show up with anything outside of a Yeti, people are, you get some yeah. dirty looks. Yeah. So I, I don't know how much you can share about this, but do we know what other categories they'd expand into? Because it feels like they have such a solidified brand purpose. They could go a lot of different ways. So I speaking completely um, from my, just my own experience with the brand uh, to me, international is actually one of the biggest opportunities for them. Mm -hmm. um, they have a really strong position in the U.S. and almost no position outside of the U.S. Mm -hmm. uh, so kind of continuing to expand into Europe where those same tenants really hold true, I think is probably the biggest opportunity. But again, speaking entirely, sure, I, I have some friends who work over there, but speaking entirely just from my own guess. What you would do if you were, you were in charge of it yet. Right. Yeah. Tell us about when you've seen a company or a brand really stick to an idea, despite any push or pull to change direction. When have you seen a brand really stand behind their bold thinking and idea? Yeah. You know, I think one of the best examples of this has to be Dave Asprey and Bulletproof. Um, and his idea of, you know what, health, wellness, biohacking to improve your quality of life. Um, I, I think, you know, we obviously saw kind of Atkins diet come and go and kind of continuing to stay, stay true to this idea as far as high fats, high protein, low sugar, and having that impact every aspect of your life. 
there were times that the business wasn't, you know, kind of was, was, uh, let's say treading water and not growing particularly quickly. And then all of a sudden, you know, you saw this massive acceleration and really in the past kind of four or five years, keto has taken off to such a huge degree. I mean, I think Bulletproof is really one of the pioneers of that category. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and whether through some of those kind of years of not necessarily, you know, a downward trend, but uh, not seeing the trajectory that you would have expected for a forward thinking brand like this. And then the, the massive acceleration thereafter. That's one that, um, and it hasn't changed, right? It has continued to be like, it is that idea of like biohacking. These are the best things for your body. And you don't see them kind of pivoting, adding additional products on that don't really speak to that core tenant of the business. Mm -hmm. So that conviction of the biohacking then can allow them to flex within the different marketplace dynamics that might be there. Is is that fair? Yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, So that's, that leads me to a a question I'm dying to ask you because part of what Helio does is it really helps identify trends right earlier on in, in the cycle. So what is the difference between a trend and a fad? Like what makes something really long lasting and meaningful to the market versus just a flash in the pan? It's a great question. And I don't know that I necessarily have a hard and fast answer for that. Um, I can tell you that we are able to use data to try to identify what probably originally starts as fads, but show the sustainability and the growth trajectory of an ultimate trend. If you find a company that has or, or, or a trend that is seeing door growth accelerating at a certain pace or number of new products being developed at a certain pace or velocities of coming off the shelf, and you can mirror that to previous trends, you can kind of get the, the, the confidence that this is in fact real, that this in fact has, has the legs and has the sustainability um, to ultimately be something big. I don't necessarily have a hard and fast rule of like, this makes a trend, this makes a fad. But thankfully, because of the data that we have, we're able to kind of draw parallels to previous trends um, with what we're seeing in, in today's, um, today's marketplace. To, uh, to try to identify those earlier. Mm-hmm. But honestly, consumer trends are changing so quickly. Right. Um, it, it is for, I think, probably more of a risk today than it ever has been before when investing in early stage consumer. How do you balance that risk? I mean, data is one way, certainly, but how else do you think about that? Data is certainly a, a big piece of it, whether it be the, you know, the right strategy or not. So I know some um, kind of pre-revenue investors are, are phenomenal investors and very successful. We aren't. We invest in businesses that have at least a million dollars of trailing 12 months revenue. So we at least have some proof points, right? We at least have some consumer, um, consumer experience. We have some insights into how the consumer is reacting with the product. And then we can complement the data with these, these actual proof points to try to give us a little bit of additional information on that. Mm-hmm. What's a trend that you saw accelerated over the course of the pandemic? Yeah, um, anxiety is probably the biggest one that I could point to. Um, and it, I think it's anxiety and I think it's the willingness to talk about anxiety as well, um, which I think is like obviously the fact that people are feeling anxious and have those um, emotions is obviously concerning, but it does feel like we've broken down a lot of the taboos and whether it be through product development, through blog posts, through community, it's this openness to actually have a conversation about it. I mean, I, I think I saw a, a, a commercial on television the other day that talked about teenage, teenage anxiety and it's, 
I think breaking down those barriers and making it acceptable to talk about, um, because I honestly, when I was a teenager, I don't think you had the opportunity. I mean, this was 30 plus years ago, but I don't think it was, it, I think it was much more taboo to talk about the fact that you were suffering through depression, that you felt a lot of additional pressure on yourself. Um, and I think COVID, the isolation that people have felt, the additional pressures that people feel, whether it be a mom, a working mom or dad, having kids at home, trying to deal with Zoom schools, trying to deal with the stress of like raising your children while they're in a more isolated environment, um, as well as like the, the teenagers and the younger kids dealing with they're supposed to be social and they're not now. Um, so I think the openness to talk about it is really great. And we're seeing an increased number of products, whether it be beverages, whether it be uh, supplements, kind of going after that market, which I think is, is a real positive trend as well. Yeah, we could use all the support we can get from um, from the CPG industry to help us with, with products that can help um, our mental state for sure. And I mean, sleep, right? I mean, sleep is a huge piece of mental wellness. Um, and I... I'm not sure I know anybody whose sleep has not been significantly impaired in the last 18 months. Yeah. I was actually looking last time we talked, you mentioned Liquid IV as one of the brands that you guys have been involved in. And I, I use their hydration products, but I hadn't seen their sleep offering. So I really went down that path of looking into that and thinking about how that could help. Um, because yeah, I, I think that you're absolutely right. And, you know, you and I have similarly aged kids. So we went through probably, probably shared some experiences over the last 18 months of what that was like. Um, but I also find that it's impacted how I mentor and, you know, help develop and support my team that are a younger generation that are luckily growing up in this era of being much more open with mental health issues and being willing to, to speak up when they're having a rough day. And so I'm curious if that's, if you've shared that experience, has it changed how you interact with your internal teams, whether it be you know, people that report to you and look up to you as a leader or your peers in the organization? Yes and no. We tried to create a really significant open space during COVID um, around like, it's it's okay to admit that this is hard, right? Like I think about people on our team that have just started in the investing world, missing the banter around the, the water cooler, right? As far as like, whoa, did you see this Instagram uh, Instagram post? Or, hey, did you check out this recent brand? We try to create like authentic experiences and authentic moments to have those conversations. Like we'll have team lunches, we'll have team kind of happy hours, but admittedly, it's, it still remains a little forced. Um, but I think just even identifying it and talking about the fact that like, hey, like I, I get it, our lunch is a little forced, um, but I still really enjoy it because I get to learn little tidbits about you and hopefully you get to learn little tidbits about me and we get more emotionally invested in each other, I think is is important. Um, but I think it's it's honestly a function of actually just even identifying and talking about the fact that like, yeah, this is a little awkward. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I get it, like this is not exactly how you expected your 20s, your career in your 20s to be. Yeah. Um, and we're going to do whatever we can to make it as easy and seamless as possible, but probably still going to be a little awkward. Right. Right. Yeah. Acknowledging that is, is, it's authentic. So it's good to hear that, that that's the reality. Okay. So back to gutsy brands, we've also observed that gutsy brands tend to be pioneers in some way, whether they're finding a new way of doing business, they're taking an industry in a new direction. So you told the story about Denise, which is a great example. Can you think of another um, founder or brand that really did pioneer a new way of doing something? 
Yeah, so we have um, one of our portfolio companies uh, is this brand Flex, um, which is an alternative period product brand. Uh, Lauren Schultz, the founder, um, she's amazing. And similar, recognized a problem uh, as far as the pain points of traditional menstrual products, um, the, whether it be the cramping, whether it be the leaking, whether it be the smells, and um, honestly, the, the, the pain and the discomfort it often, those often have. Um, and she went out and created a better product. So it's a, it's flex disc. It's insertable. It's not putting a piece of cotton inside of your body, which is not particularly hygienic or, um, or, or safe. Uh, she went out and she completely created a new product that is seeing by far the largest growth in the, um, in the period product brands, um, seeing significant distribution growth. She's really viewed as a, as a meaningful innovator in the category. And it's a category of behemoths right? It is a category of huge pockets, huge uh, marketing dollars being able to be spent by the Playtex and Tampaxes of the world. Um, and she's going in and saying, nope, your product, it's not for me. It's not for everybody. It's not for the future. And I'm going to be completely disrupted. And until she came along, there was organic tampons, which is great, right? Organic, better than non-organic, but there really wasn't much innovation in the space. Um, and so she's um, one of those founders that I think, uh, you know, when you talk about interviewing some founders for your, your podcast, I think she'd be a great one as far as like recognizing a problem and just running after it hard. And I'm sure faced obstacles time and time again, but was willing just to kind of plow through them and has uh, had an amazing business so far. We are so excited to have her on the podcast. So that'll be a few weeks from now, but I had an initial call with her team and so inspiring on so many levels. And one of the things that I found just really compelling is when you talk about the benefits of the product, there are dozens from a female personal perspective, right? The person that's actually having this product in their body, but also the messaging around, hey, this gives you mess-free sex and how appealing that is to men to understand, wow, this is a period product that actually might make sense in our lives. So I love it on so many levels. I cannot wait. Thank you so much for introducing us to her. Of course. We also kind of see on our, our side that gutsy brands tend to see opportunity where others might force trade-offs. We see gutsy brands as truly innovating in a way that defies barriers, pre-existing barriers. Can you think about a brand that really embodies that thinking? Yeah. So one of the one of the brands that jumps to mind for me with that kind of a no compromise brand um, is, is a brand. It's a hair care brand called Function of Beauty, and uh, we we were um, lucky enough to partner with them kind of eight probably gosh it must be three years ago now. Uh, prestige hair care brand, and they originally started and it was all customizable hair care, right? So they have this amazing manufacturing facility where you can see. The where the how the magic happens and it takes you know eighty different products and puts it all together depending on how you as an individual say that you want your product. That was all D to C and it was always the idea of like okay but how do we get this mass? How do we get this on the shelf right? Because the majority of shampoo and conditioners bought on the shelf today. How do we actually trade that um, and and still give the consumer the customization but be able to actually sell it at a target and they developed this really great technology where you have the base product right and it's like your shampoo and conditioner one's for wavy hair one's for straight hair and then you have these additional capsules that you can buy so i've got wavy hair that is frizzy and i could put an anti-frizz capsule in it or i've got wavy hair that is colored and i could put a color treatment capsule in it and so you get that customization you get that feel of you know what this is a product that is being made entirely for me 
um, for my specific hair, for my customization with additional launches, no doubt to come and uh, at a much more kind of mass price point that's able to appeal to the broader community. Mm-hmm. So that's one. It's like the idea of kind of customization and mass appeal, I feel like is somewhat conflicting and yet they were really successful as far as execution on it. That's a great example. And especially in you know today's world, people want personalization. They want products that feel like they're made just for them. But as a business, you need to find a way to scale that and have that mass market appeal. I love that example. And my daughter was an absolute function of beauty. She just fell in love with this brand. And she now, I think, feels like that is a brand that is specifically for her. Because when it arrives too, in the D2C version, it says specifically for you and has your name. And it's very cool and very personalized. That's a great example. I'd love for you to take a moment to talk about the founders of these businesses, really just as the people that they are and what it means to them to find the right investors, but also at the right time. Is there a story you have where it just, it meant so much to them as an individual and, and, and why did it mean so much to them? I feel a little uncomfortable with the question because I feel like I'm tooting my own horn to some degree. That's okay. um, I, I thankfully have a great relationship. I, I believe with all of the companies that I'm on the board of and even the ones that I've of invested in that we didn't take a board seat with. I mean, I can tell you the story of uh, Mented Cosmetics, which is a uh, color cosmetics brand that focuses on people of color. KJ uh, Miller and Amanda Johnson founded the company, um, both Harvard graduates. But as as you know, raising capital as a Black woman, and this was, we, we led their seed back in 2018, raising capital as a Black woman is extraordinarily difficult. I think it has gotten marginally easier in the last year or two, but it's still extraordinarily difficult. And they spoke to dozens and dozens of the more traditional investors that all said, thank you, but we don't think the market's big enough, or we're not sure you're the right team in order to lead this business, which is effectively saying, you don't look like me. um, So I'm not sure you don't have experience. I think I'm guessing a white male who is a new founder often doesn't hear that, doesn't hear that statement but they persevered, they continue to push forward. And, and I'm so thrilled that our data platform actually identified them because we reached out to them, were able to engage with them. Um, it was social media engagement that really was uh, what was spiking on our data platform because they were entirely direct to consumer at that point. And we were able to partner with them um, and invest with them and uh, really kind of set the business off as far as um, giving them the funding that they needed in order to take it from a direct to consumer business to now it's one of the number one lip products at Target has uh, placements in Ulta um, growing extraordinarily quickly um, and, and a real success story. Like I said, it's a, a little bit embarrassing um, to, to say that you know we were the turning point then. They would have done it anyway. They are so driven and so focused on, on their business. But I do think we, and the fact that we were able to identify them and the fact that we were able to take our biases away probably helped them um, accelerate the process. Well, you're being very humble, which is uh, commendable, but I'm, I know that you guys had a lot to do with that. And does the technology then help that way? Does the technology help you remove any bias you might have going into it? It does. Um, and it's more that it emerges signal about amazing brands, right? So if so, I'm walking around a beauty trade show and I see Mented, I'm like, wow, that's a beautiful brand. Chat with the founders quickly, really interesting founders but I don't have signal, right? I don't have like, you know what? I feel like this company is really spiking on any one thing or another. Whereas if you take a data-driven approach and you take a category like, you know, color cosmetics for people of color, 
you can actually do a deep dive into the category and see where people are excelling as far as distribution, where they're excelling as far as social engagement, where they're excelling as far as price positioning. And you can put the map together and then you can look at it and say, okay, this is extraordinary what they're doing. Um, this is a company I really want to back. So Karen, we'd love to move to a quick rapid fire round. Um, I want just off the top of your head, um, a brand or campaign, and this can be from your personal experience. There's no right or wrong answer. Okay. But name a brand or campaign that you think really demonstrates empathy, that it really, really gets people. If you think about athletic brewing and partake brewing, um, kind of the non-alk beer brands, um, I think those have identified such a material product problem in the marketplace. Um, and the, the idea of, you know what, there's a variety of reasons people can't drink beer and they can't drink alcohol, whether that be pregnancy, whether that be alcoholism, whether that be weight loss, whatever it might be, and actually being able to I to provide a quality product that you don't feel like the stigma of drinking like an O'Doul's type of product mm -hmm. of like I am sacrificing for that. I feel like that, that's a, those are, those are two brands that are really excelling there. It's mm -hmm. a great example. What about a brand or a campaign that was really pioneering? It showed a new way of thinking or doing business. I've got to go dollar shape club for that. Right. Um, I mean, they completely disrupted the idea of a razor, razor blade model, which I mean, that's a cliche term, right? We use that term all the time and they were like, nope, let's completely turn that on its head. Uh, and uh, let's put these, these very funny commercials. And to this day, when I'm having a bad day, I will pull up that original one and I will watch it and it will just make me laugh. Um, I think Dollar Shave Club did a phenomenal job as far as that. That's a great tip to watch it when you're having a bad day. I'm going to, I'm going to use that one. What about a brand or campaign that stands behind bold ideas, even if it's not totally popular at the time? I would say I'm going to go Halo Top Ice Cream. Um, the idea of actually putting their calorie count, the calorie count of the full pint of ice cream on the front, bold and center, just to say, you know what, this is what you're getting. This is what you're going to be enjoying. Um, I'm sure many people told them, you know what? No, stick it on the back, keep it on the back. Don't highlight it. Uh, and they recognize what the consumer is actually looking for and why they feel that I can eat that entire pint of ice cream guilt-free if I have that bold front and center. It's a phenomenal su success story. And Circle Up was involved with, with Halo Top too, right? We were early on, yes. Yeah, you guys get to know a lot of the Unilever uh, scoop-ups, so that's great. How about a brand or campaign that saw an opportunity where others forced compromise? Yeah, we, um, we've partnered with a, um, a brand Buffy, which is a comforter company. Um, and it's the idea of providing a hell of a comfortable comforter, right? Quality and like your ability to sleep is first and foremost with that. But then they didn't compromise at all as far as sustainability. Um, that's really been a core of, to the ethos of the business. Um, and so being able to really, but on the flip side, recognizing that if you don't provide a good night's sleep, if it doesn't, the comforter doesn't run too hot, um, you, you won't be able to drive any customers to your product. Uh, so that idea of actually kind of continuing to provide a really quality product, um, I would actually argue an extraordinary product while um, con continuing that focus on sustainability and having that intertwined in every aspect of your business. Um, I think Buffy does a great job with that. Excellent. Those are all great examples. And again, more brands I want to learn a lot more about. 
So I have one more question before we go to our, our kind of final uh, lightning round. When we were talking last week, you used the term irrational expectations, and I thought it was such a memorable term. Tell me about how that's played out and how you interact with some of these brands and how you circle up runs, runs their business. Yeah, I think the, the, the context of irrational expectations is, I think founders have to have that to be successful, right? Because if you are an innovative brand, there have no one else have, has thought to do this, right? You've had 50 people who have said, you know what? That doesn't make sense. That price point doesn't make sense. That material doesn't make sense. That point of distribution doesn't make sense. You can't fight the big incumbents. So you have to have those expectations that arguably in the normal marketplace, people say no to 50 times before you finally say like, you know what? I'm persevering. I am pushing through this. I have these irrational expectations and I know that this is going to work. Um, a circle up has done that to some degree, right? We, we launched as a marketplace back in 2013, 2014. Um, that was the first iteration of our business. We, we had a lot of success there. We helped 300 companies raise capital, but we recognized that the model didn't really have the long-term trajectory that we would have hoped it would have. And so we pivoted to the, we pivoted to the funds model, right? And then we, uh, we've subsequently pivoted more towards the technology model. And it's that idea of, there's so much information out there. We need to democratize the investment process. How do we do that? And that's always been our core ethos, but recognizing that like, you've, got to, you've got to make tweaks along the way as you learn, as you continue to improve. Um, but that idea of irrational expectations that we can democratize the private market investing opportunity, investment market, um, even though time and time again, people have said, no, you can't because the data is not readily available. Um, so I think our founders have definitely, uh, definitely had that. Um, and a lot of the founders that we work with on a day-to-day -day basis within Circle Up Growth Partners all do too. You're in good company then. That's fantastic. <laughs> okay, we're going to move to our, our final wrap-up lightning round. So this is spill your guts. This is going to be about you personally and some memorable things for us to, and our listeners to take away. So what's the first brand you remember as a child and why was that brand memorable? Uh, so it's got to be Special K. Um, we were a non-sugar cereal family. We were allowed to have Cheerios and Special K. Uh, those were uh, those were our breakfasts. Um, so that one definitely jumps out at me. And then on a personal level, uh, my name is Karen and my nickname was KK growing up. And so my dad always used to say Special K for Special K. Oh. Um, so that's the one that really jumps out at me. That's cheesy. Cheesy, no, I know, it's but it's still such a happy memory for me. Hey, cheesy is all good. That's super memorable. So are you still a special K family? We are still a special K family. Yes. My kids eat it uh, a couple times a week. Well, there you go. What book or movie best represents your career journey? It, I think Michael Lewis wrote a lot of books throughout the course of my life that just kind of home at the various times, right? I started in investment banking right when I graduated college. Um, I feel like Liar's Poker came out right around that time, maybe a little bit before, but that was very, uh, very topical. I was at Lehman Brothers um, when it went under. He wrote The Big Short. Um, that was obviously around the, the housing crisis um, that happened then. Thankfully, I've kind of graduated from that. Um, uh, now being an investor in early stage consumer brands, um, you know, I I don't know that it necessarily has anything to do with kind of my life and my career, but I definitely reference Innovator's Dilemma on a regular basis and talk talk to the brands about that as far as where you want to be on that innovation cycle. 
um, if you're going to continue to be uh, the disruptor in the category. Those are great punctuations around uh, your your career, but also uh, it sounds like a Bible and a little bit of an innovator's <laughs> dilemma. That's fantastic. So you and I have similarly aged kids. So for this question, let's think of slightly younger kids, maybe a five-year-old child. How would you describe your job to a five-year-old? It's actually interesting. I think my kids get what I do in part because we have brand products delivered to our house regularly to try them, right? And so I'm able to point to the product and say, look, this is a new brand. They're competing against Goldfish. They're competing against Pepsi. Um, and we will give them money to help them grow. My mom is the one who has no idea what I do. And so the best way I can explain it is Shark Tank. <laughs> she doesn't quite understand why I'm not actually on the TV show yet, but, uh, <laughs> but Shark Tank is the way that I can kind of explain it and get my mom over the hump as far as what I do. So you might repeat yourself on this one, but um, what's one piece of advice that you would give a business leader that's looking to help their brand be gutsy? It's don't listen to the naysayers, right? If it was easy, it would have been done before. People will tell you it can't be done. Um, surround yourself with the great people to help execute on it, right? And recognize you can't do it on your own. But whenever people say like, no, this doesn't make sense, I'm sure every great innovator and great entrepreneur heard that 50 times before they ultimately had success. Great advice. So a fun one. What is the most used emoji on your phone? Man, it's probably thumbs up. Uh, and in part because like I try to use emojis because I want to be kind of cool. But in reality, I should just type okay because I can type okay so much faster than I can like go down to the emoji, find the emoji, put that in. But I I I I try to <laughs> try to be cool. So it's probably thumbs up, which is probably the most non-cool emoji out there. Okay. And finally, we are compiling a gutsy brand playlist to share with our listeners and our community. So what song would you add to our playlist? Yeah. Um, I want to go, I'm a survivor. I can't remember if it was Beyonce or Destiny's Child or when exactly it was that transition there. But um, but yeah, I'm gonna go, uh, I'm a survivor because you've gotta be, you've gotta push forward with that, right? You've gotta be a survivor, you've gotta, you've gotta buck the trends, you've gotta beat the odds, um, and you've gotta kind of continue to push forward with that. Awesome. I have a big smile on my face. Um, the podcast listeners won't be able to see that, but that's very inspiring and we'll take it. We'll put that on our playlist for sure. So Karen, it's been absolutely fascinating to hear your stories and the ties, the different parts of a gutsy brand. Um, thank you for sharing these stories with us and thank you to circle up for existing and helping so many of these brands see the light of day and show their gutsiness and succeed in the marketplace. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Jessica. It was a real pleasure. Jess, that was a fantastic conversation. I can't believe how many brands you guys talked about, things I've heard of and used and ones that I wrote down to look up after this call. Same for me. Honestly, a lot of those brands that she mentioned are in my household. You know, my kids use them or I use them. So 
I really related to how she described the human connection of that foundational insight. But the other ones I was immediately looking up, I actually, you know, reached out to people, the founders on LinkedIn and was able to connect with a couple of them. In fact, two of the brands that she mentioned, mentioned the founders are already set up to be future podcast guests. So that's amazing. Yeah. So let's talk key takeaways. What resonated with you the most? So I think to start just with Circle Up itself, you know, beyond the brands that they invest in, Circle Up from a business standpoint is incredible because they they use data to stand behind those bold ideas of even choosing which, you know, company to invest in. So I found that to be a really powerful illustration of technology coupled with that human expertise that you sort of need to to go with a bold decision. So I really love that she gave examples of um, multiple brands were on the surface. Maybe the market didn't look big enough, right? Maybe the, the trend looked more like a fad and it would just fizzle out. But using the data helped uh, uncover those emerging signals that allowed them to pinpoint brands that had incredibly compelling, really high growth opportunities. So I love that marriage of technology with the human expertise on top of it. It is amazing. And I think it's such a, a simple thing that not everybody applies. Karen was talking about how traditional investing, oftentimes you're investing in companies you you have a friend that works at. And it, it's kind of like an, an old man's world, kind of so to speak. So it's it's cool to see us progressing past that and using data in a way that allows for opportunity. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And the number of women founders and people of color as founders, I mean it's a perfect way to make sure that we can identify those opportunities and give those, those inspiring founders a start. So I loved it. I love so many things about it. And then, you know, the other piece that I really took away was each of those examples she mentioned in terms of innovation or marketing really grounded in empathy, right? And that's what leads to sustained growth. So one example she mentioned was Function of Beauty, which is a, a brand that my, my daughter, my child daughter uses. And that's the notion of having highly personalized experiences. I mean, people can say, this is the type of hair I have. This is the type of hair I want to have. So, you know, give me a formula that's uniquely designed for me. The ability to deliver that personalization, but at scale for the business is just incredible, but it's grounded in that empathy of that, you know, 12 year old that wants a product that is uniquely suited for her. Um, the example of Partake Foods, which is all about um, making sure that people that suffer from allergies aren't, um, you know, eliminated from a social experience they want to have at a gathering where they can't have those snacks that are out on the table. So I loved the thread through those stories was about that, you know, deep understanding of that human experience and what people are trying to achieve in their lives. And each of those brands just personified that, that notion of empathy, I think. I agree. And I found it really inspiring when she talked about minted cosmetics. She she talked a little bit about there are companies that a lot of times they were overlooked when it came to investment and they tried multiple times. And it's just great to see them going towards those companies. And in the competitor's eyes, that looks like a bold decision because they're not going to be doing it. So they're pioneering, but it's all grounded in empathy. They're, they're expanding to people that were not included before. I was just thinking the other day about uh, Band-Aids. Band-Aid finally came out with uh, different shades for skin tones. And that's such a shocking thing. I never thought about it because my skin tone never had to think about it. Mm -hmm. So I love that they're being inclusive. Yeah, absolutely. 
And the other piece speaking to the, the people behind these brands, she mentioned that, you know, they have to have irrational expectations. And that term just completely stuck with me. I'm going to find every opportunity I can to use it <laughs> in my personal life. But, um, you know, it really made me um, think about each of these founders as individuals. And frankly, I want to host a dinner party with them. I think it would be such a fun group to get together and, and just really each of their stories, I think, ties to that DNA of a gutsy brand. And I think we should try to make that happen this year. I think that would be really fun. Let's do it. Let's do it. Another thing that really stuck out to me that I had to bring up was I loved her song choice for our Gutsiest Brand Spotify list. I can't think of a better thing to pair with the advice she left us with, which was don't listen to the naysayers, right? Again, each of the stories that were told were just great illustrations of that, that spirit and had a little bit of Beyonce in all of them, right? So, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I mean, so thanks for, for hosting us, Emily. And I think, you know, what I, what I value most in the conversation with Karen is that circle up itself, as well as the brand she talked to talked about, just motivate me as a business leader, but also as a human who interacts with these brands in the marketplace and in my, my home and in my life. So I'm, I'm able to look at them in a new way. And I do think truly that, that each of the stories she told tie back to what we believe are the DNA of a gutsy brand. So demonstrating deep empathy for the human experience, being pioneering, right? Finding a new way to do things in the industry, standing behind bold ideas, even if not popular at the time, right? Having that courage to do that. And then seeing opportunities where others uh, force compromise. I just was so inspired and energized uh, by her her talk. And uh, I hope that our listeners enjoy it as well. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of the Gutsiest Brands podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. See you next time.